I look back at it at my age, I think it's an act of slavery because these people had had to come here and look for the £5.10 a half a year for six months. And you can see in that situation that a very warm, close relationship could develop. And, and we have, do have a lot of accounts of very, very close relationships that lasted really a lifetime. Uh, I remember talking to some of the people who had been hired and one man telling me it was just slave labour. Slave labour, nothing else, you know, because they were working from five in the morning until dusk, many of them. Some of the girls, we girls, they, for them it was the happiest, probably the happiest time of their life. I would always have questioned the attitude of people at the time. Why did they um, turn their backs on this, uh, the hiring of children? In many ways, um, we now read about the hiring fairs. And we must believe that Ireland also had a slave trade. And the, the children who were hired out were the slaves. First of all, not alone was it a fact of life, it was a fact of survival. It may sound like a scene from centuries ago. Children and young people standing along the side of the street, waiting for farmers to come along, pick them out and offer them work as farm servants. Or it may sound like a scene not very different to the slave markets of North America. But to learn more about the old Irish hiring fairs, we don't have to turn to the history books. I remember the day, November 1938, I left home with my father going to the fair, hiring fair of Straban. I wasn't very keen of going, but I had no option because uh, father wanted us to start work early in life and uh, furthermore, he needed the money. So... We got the bus at Danegar Crossroads and we made our way to Letterkenny. And there was a small railway station in Letterkenny that serviced Straban with the train. And we got on the train in Straban and Letterkenny and landed in Straban about half past ten. And we went up to the square and there was quite a big crowd there and amongst them a lot of farmers, uh, some with uh, motor cars, but most of them with horses and traps. And uh, a few farmers approached my father, looked me over to see was I strong enough for their work. Could you tell me about the, the first time you were hired? How old were you? I was 14. And where were you from? I was from Ardra, kind of like up. And how did you get up to Straban? I had to walk to the centre, six miles. And I come and train by myself. Then when you came to Straban, what happened? What did you do? I came on and went on up to the town hall. And there's the man there and he hired me. What had you brought with you? I just a few clothes. A pair of shoes and a few things I had. My father was 46 years of age when he got married. He married a girl of 16. She hadn't reached her 17th birthday. Well, the rare 12 of a family. So I was the second oldest. My two brothers, the oldest and the next, went away to college. And 
My brother was coming out a qualified teacher at the end of the year. I think that was 1939. And he was old beans about being a school teacher, but when the results of his exam come, and he failed. So there he was. He failed his exam, so there was no money to be got from him for that year. So I, I cleared off myself. And I hired in the hiring fair in Strabane, I think, the 12th of November. Donico Wheel went out to the hiring fair of Strabane in 1938. Margaret Devlin first went out in 1924, and Paddy Midlin in 1939. They are just three of the thousands of people who found work at the hiring fair of Strabane down through the years. But the origins of hiring fairs go back much, much further than that, as Jonathan Bell of the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum explains. Hiring fairs, as far as we know, started in England and Scotland in the medieval period, but our earliest references to fairs in Ireland um, date really from the 19th century. There are lots of references to farm servants in the 18th century Ireland, but the clearest references are from early 19th century Ulster, and from that period on they seem very much concentrated in, in Ulster. Uh, they flourished during the 19th century, probably came to their peak at the late, in the late 19th century when over 80 towns and villages in Ulster had fairs. Usually they were held around the 12th of May or the 12th of November, and they involved the employment of farm servants, both boys and girls, usually boys and girls, usually very young people, often as young as seven years of age. Uh, the usual thing was that farmers would look for servants standing in a particular part of the town, would go up and interview them, talk about what skills they had, what wages and conditions they wanted, and then if they made a deal, the farmer would then give them a small sum of money, known as an earls or an earnest, uh, maybe a shilling, two shillings, and the servant would go off to the red, around the fair. The farmer would take what was known as the bundle, which was the clothes that the servant was bringing with them to live with in on the farm where they were working. And at the end of the day, or maybe the next day, the servant then would go to the farm. Uh, the biggest fairs were in West Ulster, and that would be Straban was one of the biggest fairs. Uh, Derry was big, Oma, Letterkenny, Milford. And really what you got there were uh, young people from West Donegal, mostly West Donegal, coming over to work on bigger farms further east uh, in Ulster. The people of Straban who recall the fair remembered as a day of fun and activity. The trading of animals, the peddling of goods and the entertainment went on all day. Well, we got the day off from school and that was the greatest day of our lives. It was a real pageantry. Everything about the town and everything about the town, you were with it. And there was jugglers in the town, in the street, and there were thousands of people. And then you went up onto Hayes Street, as we call Patrick Street, and there was a horse fair. And you were in danger of your life being tapped on with horses. They were racing up and down the street. Well, they brought all the cattle to the square. And everybody put their cattle in a bunch, you know. And you stood, and then whoever was going to buy them would have come over, you know. And at that, and then there were a lot of stalls all around. There were everything, like. There you see pigs there. Well, you, you got a nice wee pig for with eight shillings. That's all right, I'm not telling you no way. It was a day of gathering really from the all the old <coughs> the old musicians, old fiddlers, and drummers and singers was. The most famous one was was this F Francis Kelly he called him. He was called Frank the Fiddler. 
he sang all the old ballads. He put his hat down on the, on the, on the ground and the people passed by and you see a penny or so. Penny was the, was the general way of paying that time. That anything but again, that's just people hadn't got it. To a large extent for the people living in the town of Straban, the fair was no more than a day of entertainment. They weren't so much involved in the buying and selling of animals. That was more the concern of the farmers who came in for the day from the surrounding area. Nor were they directly involved in the hiring, although they were, of course, aware that it was going on. May Early remembers being mistaken by one farmer as someone looking to be hired. When I was 14, I was working in a factory in Straban, an underclothing factory, and at lunchtime, a group of us used to go out and stand at the corner of the main street, particularly on the hiring fair days. And this particular fair day, a farmer came along and picked me out of the group, wanting me want to hire me. I thought it was a huge joke. It's offering me a pound a year and I was earning six and eight pence a week, which was a fortune to me. But we thought he was joking, but he was quite serious, but we didn't take him up on his offer because we didn't really know very much about the country. We thought we were city slickers living in Stramal. But for those who did come to the fair to be hired, it was far from a joke. They came in their hundreds from the poorer areas of Tyrone and especially from Donegal. And being hired might mean the difference between being guaranteed regular food for six months or going hungry, between helping your parents pay their rent or seeing the family evicted, between finding employment or having to beg for a living. Devlin left her home in Ardra, County Donegal, in 1924 to come up to the hiring fair of Straban. She was 14. She walked the six miles from her home in Ardra to Glenty Station, took the train to Straban, and set off into the town. I came on and was going up to the town hall. That little man there, he hired me. What had you brought with you? Just a few clothes. And what did the man hire you to do? Just to do ordinary housework. Were you working in the farm as well? No, I didn't work on the farm there, no. Just just do ordinary housework and milk the cows and all that. How much did the man pay you for working? It was six pounds for six months. How many days a week did you have to work? No, just all, all seven days. Could you describe a day? Tell me what time you got up and the work you did. I got up at six o'clock in the morning and put on the fire. Went in out to milk the cows, get the milk ready for the creamery. Come on then, got your breakfast and feed, feed the whole animals and things like that. Hens and all that. Do the housework, clean up the house. Do the bedrooms and things, all that. So then after that six months, what did you do? I left then and went. I hired again, Mr. Bat. I went to up then up 
women's book six months plus. I was up there a while then. And then I left, I was there a while. Oh, there's a work on harder place. There were a lot of people in it and kept a lot of pigs. You know, you had this sort of one like young pigs. You know, the seven lion and very small. Just got up and sit up all night and then just got up in the morning. Start your work again. So, uh, how many different farmers did you work for then, Miss Heidi? Oh, she either eight or nine. And uh, in general? Yes. In general, how, do, how did they treat you? How did you get on? No, well, not too bad or not. Just you had a bit of work to do. And how did you meet your husband? You must have had some time off. Um, uh, oh, it was arranged to them, it's all right. You were finished up at six o'clock, at last place I was in. I met him just up the road one day. I was up the road on the bicycle and I met him. So then finally when you got married you, you didn't have to go being hired anymore? No, no. <laughs> you, were, you were very young when you were hired the first time. I mean, I was. How did you feel about it? Just when you left school you had to go to work somewhere. There was no work in Donegal. What's the wages, mistress? Two pounds, five shillings, tambo, tambo. Two pounds, five shillings, my heart and my joe. Two pounds, five shillings, say you and say I. And what an arantin young widow am I. Ah, that's two little wages, mistress. Rates of pay are another thing that's very difficult to assess from an industrial point of view because the, the servant typically was stayed on the farm and was fed on the farm. And the, the payment at the end of the term for the six months might have been a very, very small sum of money indeed. In fact, one man I recorded who was hired out and round and given in County Derry uh, wasn't paid at all for the first two years. He just got his keep on the farm. And you asked so much. And he wouldn't be given to you, he would be pulling you down a little. And you only got about 12 pounds uh, £12 for six months. That's all the wages you got. And the, man, the master would knock you all around and see, and if you're suitable, he would take you on then. So I met two men there, two... A brother and a nephew of the man that wanted to hire me. And the bargain I got struck with him was six pounds for the six months. But I put up a hard fight to get my washing done. Right. For that as well, you know, it would cost me a shilling a week maybe to somebody to do me washing for me. So I got my washing done. And then you find these farmers coming and really talking to these people and trying to get as good a bargain as they possibly can. Now, the children having left home would have been told by their parents, don't go for any less than, say, £3.10 shillings. And that was payment for six months' work. Yeah, and the children had this figure that their parents had given them in the head of £3.10 shillings. 
And of course, these old men who thought they knew better and were wiser were trying to talk them down to get a bargain to maybe three pounds. And the children were left with a dilemma, you know, they knew that they had to get something. And rather than take nothing, they would go for the three pounds. And of course, the old men won. And it's, it's very, very difficult. You can understand people of, of maybe 40 or 50 well-established farmers who are, are a lot of them Presbyterian stock and mean and, and looking for a bargain, pitting their wits really against these young children and coming off the best all the time. So the children then uh, really ending up working for six months for a, six, for, for a pittance really. Oh, then two pounds ten, tambo, tambo. Then two pounds ten, my heart and my joe. Then two pounds ten, say you and say I. And what an ranting young widow am I. Well, what's the diet, mistress? Sirens and eels, tambo, tambo. Sirens and eels, my heart and my joe. Sirens and eels, say you and say I am. what an arantin young widow am I. Ah, that's too slubby, Dad, mistress. And the thing that caused most conflict between masters and servants wasn't money or wasn't hours worked, it was food. If the house had what a reputation for what they called a, being a good meat house, they would have no problem getting servants. But the servants demanded good food and wouldn't stay on the farm, or wouldn't go back to a farm, which didn't feed them well. She, she wrote there in that place, in this place, and be home, and, and she says, um, I was big and strong and had a good appetite anyway, and, and uh, our food was scarce. I was born in the spud for pigs, she says, and I threw an egg or two into the boiler, and I had a grand dinner out of the boiler. Not the eggs? Oh, yes, I was fed quite well. And I had a menu. You were sure every day of what would come up. And <clears throat> there was the usual traditional fish on a Friday because they were a Catholic family. And um, you would get your bacon and egg because they used to salt some of their own bacon. And plenty of vegetables, turnips and potatoes. And ample milk. They had a dairy. And that helped me a lot at the time I was young. The milk was good. And uh, I, I wasn't hungry. This young brother and I was working in a house just for the higher the six months, them days. So he never got much food to eat at any time. He always got turnips for his dinner, turnips for this, turnips for that. So anyway, he was leaving when the six months was up. And... Uh, they were all on to him to stay on. Oh, he was a great worker and they wanted him to stay on. So they made a real big feast for him. And after the dinner was over, the boss says to him, he says, did you enjoy that? I did, surely, he says. Well, he says, what will I tell you? That cow that you ate now will be roaring inside you. Well, so see, by God, it'll not be for the want of turnips anyway. Oh, then potatoes and beef, tambo, tambo. Then potatoes and beef, my heart and my joe. Then potatoes and beef, say you and say I. And what an arantin' young widow am I. Well, now, uh, where a lie, mistress? You'll sleep in the loft, tambo, tambo. You'll sleep in the loft, my heart.
curtain my door You sleep in the loft Say you and say I And what the rantin young widow am I Oh, but the rats might bite me, mistress. The living conditions varied widely between sleeping in the house with the family, which is what most girls, the vast majority of girls did, or sleeping in an outhouse, which was fitted up as a bedroom, or sleeping in a barn or a boiler house, just with nothing, just a few rags to cover them. My wife's brother was very unlucky with his hiring out there. And he was a couple of years later than I. He went out in '42. And it must have been a real bad place because he was sleeping out in a shed on his own. And as you understand, there was a lot of stackyards at the time and there was a lot of rats. And the rats played havoc with him. And up to this day, he still has nightmares from the rats. And we slept in the barn, out in the barn, behind, behind that range. The wall was as warm. You could hardly hold your hand on it on a winter's night which was a very good sleep, and the other gable, there were all the horse harness, the reaper blades, you know, the reaper blades that had to be taken in for fear they would rust, and the reaper straddles and the horse neck collars, they were hung above our bed to be warm for the horse in the morning. I had to take in the neck collars out of the stable to that barn, to where my own bed was, and the two of us slept in the one bed for the year. Yeah. Oh, a lovely room, a lovely place we had. There was no grandeur about it, but we were warm and comfortable and good bedclothes. Ah, then you lie with the winds, tambo, tambo. You lie with the winds, my heart and my joe. Then you lie with the winds, say you and say I. And what an arantin young widow am I. Ah, but the winds might kick me, mistress. Ah, well, then we'll get married, tambo, tambo. Well, then we'll get married, my heart and my joe. Ah, well, then we'll get married, say you and say I. And what an arantin young widow am I. I'm as good as hired, mistress. There was a manager woman came over and she took up, she stayed in the farm and she fell in love with the man that owned the farm. And I know a, I know a person up here, I'll not mention her name, she's, alive, she's dead and gone but her daughter's alive yet. She lived at Victoria Bridge and she come down from Billy McGurry and uh, she fell in with this old farmer and uh, he married her and she had a daughter. Now that was one instance but there was always seven people, several people way down in different parts of Dunhaman and round there, fell in with the farmers, old farmers married them, and got the land when they were finished, and they came off very lucky. There was a boy from our town, and he went out there to an old couple, and they kept him, and they gave him the farm from the died, and he's still in that farm. Not all stories of the days of the hiring fair had such fairy tale endings but there are many other accounts of good fortune and kindness. And you can see that at one level it's interesting to see it almost um, when there was a happy relationship, almost like a system of fosterage. We have accounts of people being hired in West Donegal, just a mile down the road, being hired to neighbours. And the thing was that people would say to themselves their own house was overcrowded, the family would send them down the road, they would know they were being well looked after and they would work on, on that farm. 
so it was almost like fostering out. And uh, so that was the very organic, warm side of hiring, and then you got the other very nasty side of hiring, which you typically got in Strabane, more uh, at the big impersonal fairs in the West. Paddy Harper's brother, Johnny, was one of the fortunate ones. He was hired out to a couple when he was ten. And then he had a niece there, and he was, she was a little older than him. So whatever chores he had to do, I know he was for the way that art was, they sent him to school one day, and then time about her the next day at night. It's like the next day. They were more like a brother and sister, you know. And they got on great then, and then she got bigger then, boys come along, boys wasn't allowed about the place at that time, and, and he used to carry messages out, and then he was telling them himself, and she gave them sweets. Sometimes they went all right, and sometimes they didn't, but they just carried on like a brother and sister, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that was unusual, wasn't it? That someone who was hired was actually a child who was hired was actually still able to go to school. Ah, still able to go to school. Well, that was uh, that was the person that was a good employer. You see, uh, they just treated them the same as they did the, the niece, you know. But inevitably, for every story of kindness, there is one of cruelty, and in many cases, farmers abused their position of power. There were four times as many boys hired as girls. And that was very much related to worries by families that there would be sexual abuse of the girls. And there are lots of allegations of sexual abuse in the archival accounts of a hiring and a lot of songs, body songs and uh, poems about it. The boys were better off than the women. The poor girls, oh, they were handled everywhere. They were raping the child, children often. That was common because they had no protection they had to be out working and the buyers with the men feeding late at night and uh, quite a lot of that happened for, from our town so no harm to the poor girls who were under pressure there no quite a lot and that happened which we were better they used to hit us and clout us but we'd come out of that we would Oh, it was a hard times. All those who were hired, boys and girls, men and women, had one thing in common. They were completely at the mercy of the farmer who hired them. The farmer made the rules. If the farmer wanted to be decent with the person, that was fine. If he didn't want to be, if he wanted to treat the, the young person in a very bad way, there was very little the young person could do about it. They were more or less stuck. And in fact, some farmers deliberately went far away from home to hire their servants so that the servant couldn't just get up and walk home, that they were, once they were on the farm they were stuck there. Uh, in terms of other authorities, there, were, there was supposed to be legislation protecting servants and masters. Uh, although the, the agreement between servants and masters was verbal, in most cases, uh, it was legally binding. And there are instances of court cases where servants were bringing masters to court and vice versa. Uh, you know, the, one of the allegations was that masters would sometimes sack the servant just before the end of the term and that would mean they wouldn't have to pay them at all, and in which case the servant might take the master to court. But because it was all verbal and so very hard to pin down in terms of terms and conditions, it would have been a very rare thing for a servant really to be able to take a case against the master and, and, and be sure of winning.
Donegal Wheel was brought to the hiring fair in Straban from his home in Donegal by his father on the morning of the 12th of November 1938. For once, the reason for being hired wasn't purely that the family needed the money. Well, it was more or less a punishment at the time. I was 14 and a half, and we used to be out at night on the roads doing a bit of, you know, blackguardism. It wasn't vandalism or anything, but just acting on people. Maybe going up in a chimney and putting a sod in it. Small chimneys at the time, the smoke would be inside and we'd get a chase. And naturally they would find out whose them brats were. Next day they were up with our people, complaining. But they had a right to do. So I was just as bad as any of the gang. And the father was fed up with in a way. He says, I'll teach you a lesson too. And that was the punishment. Out to Straban, to the higher and fair. At the fair, several farmers approached Donica's father. Yes, they were of all shapes and sizes. Some of them were very big red face with big bellies on them, big strong hands, and just as if he was looking over a horse to work for him. And uh, just ask a few questions, which was uh, very awkward. The language was a barrier to me too because I had only Gaelic. And um, the questions he used to ask, I couldn't just answer them because I had no English. I had very little, a couple of words, yes and no. Eventually, his father hired him out to a woman for six pounds and she brought him back with her to the farm. I remember the night I landed out of the farm. It was a lonely sort of place with very few youngsters around. There was an old man sitting in the corner and I told, I thought it was the father of the woman that hired me. But later I found out it was her husband. He was a lot older than her and they didn't agree very much. It wasn't much help to me because the most, most of the time they were fighting amongst themselves. She had a family, three boys and a girl. The girl was very kind, but the boys was a lot older than me, and they used to fight a lot with me, and most of the time they'd get the better of me. I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and carry water from a well about 600 yards away, because there was no pipe drinking water in the house. And when I had the water for the house, Done, they would send me out to feed the bullocks in the field. There was another worker on the farm, a ploughman, and he used to give me bits of sweets now and again if he got them. He was very kind. At night was the worst for me because I had no companionship. Donica's overriding memory of his time hired out is of loneliness, but he looks back on the experience with a philosophical eye. But uh, it was an experience, but uh, I didn't enjoy it. But uh, it helped me a bit in life. Showed me that I had to work and made me a bit wiser with the money. But uh, I wouldn't advise anyone to go back on my tracks again. 
Dunnegan's situation was somewhat unusual in that the farmer who hired him was Catholic, not Protestant. But the stereotype view of the Protestant farmer and the Catholic servant did hold true in many cases, and there's evidence to support the even more stereotype view of the Presbyterian who was careful to the point of meanness. Back in the early 1980s, Roy Hamilton recorded the memories of several people who'd been hired. One woman told him this story. Her mother had told her you should never, ever, ever hire out to a mistress with lots of keys hung round her waist because that meant that everything in the house was going to be locked up and food was very hard to come by and it was going to be very difficult times. You know, you were going to be constantly hungry and it wasn't going to be the same as living at home. So anyhow, she didn't take that word of advice and off she went to work for this mistress with all the keys hung round her waist. And she did all the cooking. Um, And one of the things that was her job to do was to cook some small scones. And I remember her vividly telling me that uh, when she cooked these small scones and laid them out, brought them out of the oven and laid them out, and you can just see in your mind's eye a lovely big white table which has been scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and standing in a a kitchen um, with an earthen floor almost or large tiles in the floor. But the smell of these scones absolutely taking your breath away of freshly cooked bread. Uh, And the mistress would immediately have lifted them and put them in a cupboard and kept them there for two days because then they were less appetising. And, of course, the men wouldn't have eaten as many of them. She also told me she was in charge of the churning. And, uh, again, she painted this lovely picture of a little churning house on the farm, whitewashed walls, everything absolutely as clean as could possibly be. And there she was with the plunger churn, churning away. And suddenly, on the shelf above, this little mouse scurried along and slipped and dropped right into the churn. Uh, Not only did it not miss the eyes of the churner, but it didn't miss the eagle eye of the mistress, who came forward, having seen the mouse plopping into the churn. She put her hand into the churn, into the cream, and pulled out the mouse, which of course had drowned. But it wasn't getting away so easy. She squeezed the cream out of the mouse back into the churn so she wouldn't waste anything at all. And then she disposed of the mouse in the fire. But the lady in Limavati was told to churn on and don't worry about it. Lynn went out to the hiring fair in Straban on the 12th of November 1939. He had been working on the family farm in Donegal, but an older brother who was training to be a teacher failed his exams that year and came back to the farm to fill in the time until he could repeat them. There wasn't enough work for both of them on the farm, so Paddy decided to try his luck at the hiring fair. Because he had more experience, he managed to get hired not just as a general farm servant, but in the more responsible post of plowman. I was ploughman there, up at between six and seven in the morning, and I had to feed my horses, I had to clean the byres. When I had the horses fed and the byres cleaned, the breakfast was ready, that was about eight o'clock. And I went out with my horses all winter, and I had to stay out five hours a day. Uh, The old lady took me out a cup of tea, about 10 o'clock, and she took me another cup of tea about uh, about 3. And I had done me five hours rain, hail or shine, and she often she often come out with two kidney covers for the horses on a wet day. 
or a drachy day, but they were no worried about me. He remembers the horses he worked with, with obvious affection. Two lovely big horses, a steel grey horse, they called him Charlie, and a nice chestnut mare, they called her Bess. So Bess and Charlie was my two pals that I talked to all the day, hey and off and stop, woe and so on, you know. Paddy managed to get home on very few occasions during the time he was hired. We got no time off. I, I got off... Uh, I got off about three Saturday evenings in my time. And uh, it was the war years, of course. And uh, uh, I had a bicycle. And uh, I used to cycle into Saban, which was almost nine miles away. And I used to buy an odd quarter of tea. There was no tea in the all much, only on black market. And sometimes I would have a pound of tea to take home to my mother if I ever got a day off. But... In the sixth month, I think he got about three Saturday nights off and be back the next evening. Paddy was one of those who enjoyed his experience of being hired. Enjoyed it all the more, perhaps, because he knew it wasn't forever. Well, uh, I thought it was uh, it was uh, great, you know, to get away from it all for a while. No one, I knew fine that I was wanted at home as soon as my brother would pass his exams and go away to be a teacher, and I thought, well... He'll be earning then, he'd be for to send me an odd pound at home, even though, but... The year Paddy Midlin went out to the hiring fair in Straban was 1939. The Second World War had begun and the hiring fairs were on their way out. There were a lot of factors leading to the demise of the fairs. People say that the First World War gave a big blow because it changed the pattern of migration. People, particularly from West Donegal, I found it more difficult to migrate to Britain for a while and keep up the farm in Donegal. And if they got a job in an industrial centre, which they were increasingly doing, they, they usually gave up the farm. They became permanent migrants rather than migrant workers. So that whole pattern of migrant labour began to be dented by that. Then the introduction of unemployment benefit uh, hit the, the hiring system as well. It suited masters and servants both uh, to lay that the servant would be the, the labourer as it was then would be led off for part of the year. The farmer didn't have the obligation to keep the servant feed and, and board and lodge them. And the servant wasn't dependent on the farmer anymore for just keeping alive. So they, they would tend to a much more sporadic system of employment then developed where the servant would be hired, or a labourer would be hired at busy times of the year. Another thing which hit them was the introduction of school leaving age, which happened in 1926. And that, that cut away the very youngest of the farms, the supply of servants, and you weren't getting seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds being hired out. Uh, well, not nearly as much anyway. So, but by the end, about just before the Second World War, by the late 1930s, the Northern Ireland Ministry of Agriculture produced a report and they said that where fairs survived, they were really just a holiday, they were a festive occasion, that there was very, very little actual hiring done. And very few fairs survived the end of the Second World War. I've heard of Milford and Donegal was going in 1945. And places like Stravan and Limavady were running into the 40s. But they became really just a holiday. The fairs in Stravan went on right up to the end of the 1940s. But all through that decade, the actual hiring had been dwindling year by year. Looking back now, how are the hiring fairs to be judged? as a crude but fairly efficient employment system, as a type of fosterage, as slavery. Perhaps the only answer is all three. But somehow, despite the stories of people being taken in as one of the family, 
despite the amusing anecdotes. It is the sad side of hiring which lingers. It is this side which we read of in much of the literature of the time, like Patrick McGill's account in his novel Children of the Dead End, or in the autobiography of Paddy the Cope Gallagher. And it is this side which is reflected by Donegal poet Dominic Kelly in his poem The Old Home Train, a farmer's boy's soliloquy. The poem is read here by Paddy Kelly. Here I labour in the lagging on this frosty winter's day from my friends and fond relations many, many miles away. I'm cold and very hungry and inside me is a pain when I see her steaming by there. Ach, the old home train. Now I dream of Glenty Station and the road along Lothin where the scrag hills overhanging echoes back the railway din. When I'm tired snedding turnips on this flat and flooded plain, man, I'm glad to see you're coming. Ach, the old home train. Hauling turf from Minahalla, bags of wool from Balnamore, butter from the highland valleys round Clochan and Glenmore, with a red and yellow carriage, sadly soiled with sooty stain, there's no finer sight in Aden than the old home train. Every evening, I do see her puffing bravely down the line, and my soul is filled with longing for the heather and the brine. There's a colleen in her cottage, saw ye her from the window pane, as ye passed her house this morning. Ah, me old home train. But I'm bound by regulations, and I cannot go away from this farmer in the lagging till the coming twelfth of May. Then I'll pack me wee belongings and I'll soon be home again, stepping gladly at the station of the old home train. <laughs>